the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Acceptable gifts. Acceptable gifts. Let's turn to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Are y'all ready to get in the Word of God? Say, shut up, Pastor. I'm tired of hearing about all your stories. Let's get in the Word of God. Hebrews 11, verse 4. Talking about acceptable gifts, right? You're thinking, well, I'm, why am I going to listen to you about acceptable gifts? Well, no, and that's what you get, Angie. <laughs> Poor thing. 11, 4 says, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was righteous, a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Now, you know the story of Cain and Abel, right? They're the first two people ever born. You may be saying, what about Adam and Eve? They weren't born, they were formed. But these are the first two people ever born and it was right after sin had entered into the equation, right after they got kicked out of the garden, guess what happened? The first brother killed his younger brother. You think sin isn't a real issue? You think sin is just something to play with? Sin entered in and the first brother killed his brother. It started from the very beginning and it hadn't gotten much better since then. Sin will lead you places you don't want to go. We were at prayer last night and uh, Kathy Calfey had a revelation she was talking about. She saw sin sometimes just looks like an iceberg sticking up in the ocean, you know. And you, it looks small sometimes when it comes out of the ocean. It's not huge. But, but just a little sin has a huge depth to it. Underneath is enough to sink your boat. And so you, you just do a little sin, but you're opening up yourself to a whole world of darkness underneath. Because every sin comes with a lot of darkness. A lot of history in every sin that you open yourself up to. So you've got to be careful because there's spirits that will attach themselves to you when you begin to sin. Even if it's something small and you think, well, this ain't a big deal. All sin is a big deal to God. So back to uh, Cain and Abel. So these brothers, the first brother kills his little brother because he's jealous. Because Abel's offering was acceptable to God and his wasn't. So let's turn to Genesis and let's find out why he got so mad, what happened, why God wouldn't accept his offering and such. Because I think it's going to help us understand what makes an acceptable gift to God. Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. It tells the story. If you've never read the book of Genesis, it's a long book, but almost, you know, like 50% of the stories that you've heard about the Bible are in the book of Genesis. And so if you're just tired of hearing the stories, why don't you read it for yourself sometime? It's a really good book. Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, it says, When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. He was a farmer. When it was time for harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. So he took some of his produce, whatever he was growing in the, in the ground. Abel, his little brother, also brought a gift he brought the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock because he was a shepherd. And it says the Lord accepted Abel's gift of the firstborn lambs, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why in the world? What I mean... Do you see anything that would give a clue to why God differentiated between those two gifts? First thing I see is he gave some of his crops. Didn't put any thought into it, Harley, did he? Because it says, says Abel gave the best portions. It went out of its way to say that 
Abel gave his best to God. The second thing we see is he's given crops to the Lord. Now, you may think, well, wh wh why is that? Why did he receive the firstborn lamb? Why did he receive the, the meat instead of the crops? Well, remember what we talked about. Without the shedding of blood. That's going to be a, a phrase that we talk about tonight. Because God is not pleased with an offering for sin if it's not, doesn't include blood. Why is that? You see, a crop of Cain's human labor didn't impress God. Cain worked hard, you know, maybe and put some of his crops in there. And, and Abel it might not even have to work that hard. He's a shepherd. He just sat around and watched the sheep. But it was what he offered that made the difference. So I've sparked your attention maybe a little bit about what's this all about. Well, let's look back. Let's go back to the garden. And Adam and Eve first sinned, their mom and dad. You, may, you remember they sinned, and uh, the first thing they did was they felt they realized they were naked. I'm naked. <laughs> you know, and so they ran, and they hid, and they covered themselves with what? Leaves. Because they, they were embarrassed. God came looking for them and says, where are you? Like he didn't know, you know. <laughs> they said, oh, no, we're, not, we're over here. We're, we're hiding because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? And then... He saw them with these leaves covering them. What's the first thing God did? He exchanged those leaves, those, the covering of a crop, for some skins. Now, what, how do you get animal skins if you don't shed some blood first? So there was a shedding of blood to cover their nakedness. Because without... The shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There is no forgiveness of sins. The skins God gave signified there must be blood to cover up our mess. Why is that? Because in another place it tells us that life is in the blood. How many of you could make it to the door if all of a sudden your blood leaked out? You couldn't make it anywhere. You couldn't do anything. There would be no life in you. With your life is in your blood. There's a lot of things in your blood. When you're, when you're born, you're born into sin, where is that sin carried throughout? It's, it's in your blood. You have the sinful blood of Adam coursing through your veins. Your blood is supposed to be the life center. And that's what God has been trying to do, is take all us sin-filled people and cover us with a new blood. Get new blood, new life into us. Abel's offering. The firstborn lamb gave a picture of whose blood that God was satisfied with. Because who is called the lamb slain before the foundations of the world? Right? So God showed us through Adam and Eve that he would rather you be covered with skins than produce and he showed us through Cain and Abel whose blood would need to be shed. See, this is back in Genesis, y'all. This is in the first four chapters of the Bible. He has already set up the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ here. God knows what he's doing. But you say, what about the Ten Commandments? I thought that's how he was right. You know, here in America, everybody just thinks, you know, if I can obey the Ten Commandments, if I'm a good person, <laughs> that ain't really how it works because nobody can keep the Ten Commandments. If that were the case, we'd all lose, right? The Ten Commandments were just given to keep us from exterminating one another, <laughs> basically. You remember he had to exterminate everybody during the flood. Why? Because they were all crazy. <laughs> they were all killing each other and corrupting. There was nothing that could be done. If he would have let them go, they would have killed themselves off. To save mankind, he had to destroy Everybody but a few righteous and start over. But anyway, Galatians tells us that the, the old covenant, the law, the Ten Commandments, the things that we see in the Old Testament, those were things that were meant to point us to something else. It wasn't the end, was it? If it was the end, then why is it called the Old Testament? Because there was a New Testament coming. 
Let's talk about that. I'm, talk, I'm showing some pictures tonight. Not pictures that I made up, but pictures that God shows us in the Word of God. How did God give the law? By who did it come? Who did He give the... Who came down off the mountain with the stone tablets? Anybody know? Moses, right? Well, if you think about it, Moses is a type shadow of the law. The life that he lived is like a picture. If, if you see it from afar, you can, you can look at it and say, oh, Moses is representing the law. God chose Moses to bring in the law, and he's also a, like a type shadow of the law. Why do I say that? Because Moses got him to the Jordan, but he couldn't get him across. Who got him across the Jordan? Joshua. Joshua is a type shadow of who? Jesus. He's a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. What do I mean? I mean just his name. It's the same name. When translated into English, we, tr we translate it uh, Joshua and then the other one Jesus, but it's still in, in the Hebrew, both of them are Yeshua. So I mean, Jesus Christ, they say he's concealed in the Old Testament, but he ain't concealed too good. Because it tells us right there that Yeshua brought us across the Jordan into the promised land. God was showing pictures all the way back clear in Genesis, y'all. He was showing how things are going to be done. Of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. We wouldn't have known that at the time. But we can see it now if we'll study it out. And I always thought it was so unfair that Moses didn't get to go across. If you, if you read the story of all Moses put up with, those knuckleheads for 40 years in the wilderness, and all the things that he endured, and how faithful he was, and how God met with him face to face, he was the most humble man on the earth. Moses was a good man. For the most part, 99% of the time, he was an extraordinary man of God. And I was like, God, he, you know, he just did one thing and made you mad, and now you can't, you can't let him go across the Jordan? Why can't, you know... Come on, God, give me, give me a break. Let him, let him in. Forgive him. But that, my friends, is also a picture of the law. What do I mean? James 2.10 says, For the person who keeps all the law except one as is, is as guilty as the person who breaks all of the law. So it only takes one mistake if you're going if you're living by the law if you're living and dying by the law you only need to break one and you're not coming across so which one of us is going to live up to that standard romans 3:20 says for no one can ever be made right with god by doing what the law commands the law simply simply shows us how sinful we are it is our schoolmaster to point us towards Jesus and the need for a Savior. So we're made right. What is our, by Jesus, what is our acceptable gift? Well, Galatians 2.16 says, We know that a person is made right by, with God by faith in Jesus Christ and not by obeying the law. That's just what I just said, right? Let's turn to Ephesians 2. And look at it a little bit more clearly, a little more detail. Ephesians 2, because y'all are the next level bunch, and y'all love the Word of God. Y'all don't want just surface messages. You want to see it for yourself. You want to go deeper. I know you do. It's the Word of God that will change you. Don't you dare just... Get in a habit of sitting out there thinking you just believe whatever the preacher said and live according to what the preacher said. There's a lot of preachers don't even get to the Word of God anymore. By the time we get through today, you'll be saying, Pastor, whew, that was a lot of Word of God. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loves us so much. That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only. Say only. That's pretty definite, isn't it? It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. 
That means there wasn't nothing you was going to do. There's nobody, nobody ever could or ever will or ever have the opportunity to get saved on their own apart from God's grace. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point us, point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for those of us who are united with Christ. You're his little jewel of grace. He, he, he just sits back and he says, talks, probably talks to the angels, probably talking to Peter. Look, look at there, there's Dorinda, my little jewel of grace. <laughs> look how good she is doing. My goodness, all she needed was my spirit in her and her whole life has changed. Look how good she's doing. God saved you by grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Now you know in the King James it says, For we're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That not of ourselves, but it is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Because how many know a sinful man, if he thought he could work his way there, boy, he'd, when he'd get to heaven, he'd be doing all the bragging. He'd be trying to gather people over. Come here and look at me. I got here. I didn't need Jesus. But it ain't going to be like that in heaven. We're all going to hit that knee, buddy. And every tongue shall confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you think about it, you can take that pressure off yourself of, having to be an achiever to get to heaven, having to be somebody, being, you, you know, you live for an audience of one. You can just relax, and he loves you. We've already seen by his glorious grace and how much he loves you. He loves you, and you can relax. You don't have to be somebody in anybody else's eyes except God's. You're his masterpiece. Salvation by grace sets Christianity apart from all the other faiths. I don't know of another, I, even the cults, I don't, I don't know of a cult that, know, that says that you're saved by grace alone. They always twist it. They always add something. That's what makes them a cult. Because this is the main thing. You know, we're building, we built a foundation. We're building a foundation, right? We're getting rooted. And so the first message tonight is about the most simple, basic thing that you need to understand about Christianity, that you're saved by grace, not through works. It's not of yourselves. The Muslims, for example, in their Quran, in Surah 5-9, I never thought I'd preach out of the Quran, but here you go. It says, to those who believe and do deeds of righteousness, has Allah promised forgiveness and a great reward. Doesn't say anything about faith. It says those who do deeds of righteousness. Then in Al Mananim, chapter 23, verse 102, it says, Then those who, whose balance of good deeds is heavy, they will be successful. But those whose balance is light, they will be those who have lost their souls in hell, they will abide. So they're balancing your good works according to the Quran. That's why they're edgy, man. <laughs> you wake up, you don't even know, you know. <laughs> what if he catches me today, you know. I'm, I'm having a bad day, you know. And you never know if you're safe. You're supposed to know. God, not this Allah character, but the real God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Jehovah God, Yeshua, he'll let you know. Your, whole, your, cry, your heart will cry out, Abba, Father. It'll tell you. You can know that you have eternal life. Islam also claims Abraham as the father of their faith. Like many cults, many false religions, they'll take something, they'll take some parts from the truth. And that's what the devil does. He always takes some truth and then he twists it. You know, they say that Jesus was a prophet. They don't deny he existed. They just don't believe he's the Son of God and he's the Messiah. And then they create new characters like Muhammad and such. But they believe, uh, they took Abraham and says he's the father of their faith too. Now we know Abraham had two sons. 
He didn't have them until he was an old man. And uh, we know God promised him that he would have a son, and he couldn't really wait on God. He got anxious, and he had a son not with his wife, but with her handmaiden. You remember that story? He got anxious, and he had him an Ishmael. That's what they called the son. And, and it was done through human effort. Well, let's go ahead and turn to Galatians 4, and we'll read it out of the Bible. Because it'll tell you much more detail. Galatians 4.22. It says, The Scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. You remember? He, his wife told him that he could, she could, he could sleep with her handmaiden and become, uh, he, she could be his wife because they wanted a child that bad that she was willing to share her husband. But she was a slave because she was her, her handmaiden. Okay, so he had two wives, one from a, he had two sons, one from a slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife, Isaac, was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Really, God doesn't need us <laughs> our help, you know. We best just stay out of it and be patient. But these... Huh? It wasn't. It wasn't really supposed to happen. He wasn't supposed to do that, you see. He got anxious. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants, though. The first woman, Hagar, the slave, represented Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. The Jews are still under the law, right? They still believe that the way to be saved is to obey the law. So they're, they're still following the wrong way. They're under the, law, the, the wrong mountain, so to speak. But the other woman, Sarah, his, his freeborn wife, represents the heavenly Jerusalem, the way things are done in God's kingdom. She is a free woman, and she is our mother as Christians. You know, he's called the father of the faith, so I guess she would be called the mother of our faith. If you skip on down to verse 28, it says, And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. The child that was born miraculously because Sarah was, her womb was dead, and he was an old man. They were both 90 and 100 years old when they conceived, you know, long past due. <laughs> So it was a miracle from God. And we're children of a miracle. We're children that, uh, that God had promised through the seed of Abraham, it says. Just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law. See, back in those days, the Jews were persecuting the Christians. Because they're saying, y'all are saying that we don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. Y'all are transgressing the law, you know. And they were real law minded and they didn't they thought the christians were some cult going out on their own and so they were trying to squelch them just as ishmael the child born of human effort persecuted isaac if you read the story the older brother the one born by human effort ishmael when his he was like 14 when they finally got the child of promise isaac there was a day where he was picking on the boy and uh it says, but what do the scriptures say about that? It says, get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not child, children of the slave woman, but we are children of the free woman. How many of you wants an inheritance in God? You see, the... the child of human effort, born of a slave woman, was a mistake. And he's not getting the inheritance. He will not get a share of the inheritance with the free woman's son. He was kicked out. You remember? Hagar and him had to go. But just as Ishmael, the older boy, persecuted Isaac, and just as Cain, the one with the bad offering, persecuted the younger brother Abel, because he had a good offering. 
So the children of Islam today, of Ishmael today, still want to kill Christians. Same thing going on. Same spirit passed on down the line. Why? Because we're free. And they're bound. They're under the law. Their sacrifice is not acceptable to the true God. And ours is. And it makes them angry. They might not even know why they're doing it. But that same spirit that led Cain to murder his brother Abel is it's working in the world today by all those who are bound by the law who want to kill us because we have freedom in Christ. Let's turn to Romans chapter 4. Is this too deep for y'all? Well, I'm, not, I'm not saying it good. Y'all just thinking real, real hard. Romans chapter 4. Sorry I'm sitting down. My leg's getting better though, y'all. I'll be up about here pretty soon. All right, Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Tells more about Abraham, the father of our faith. The Jews still call him the father of their faith. And you know now that the Muslims call him the father of their faith. He was a central character in human history. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. We've already talked about that. His good deeds are not going to do anything to please God. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something that they have earned. But people are counted righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Remember, we talked about it is the gift of God. We're saved by uh, grace through faith in the Lord of Jesus, it is the gift of God. A gift ceases to be a gift if you're working for it. If you work for it, say, okay, no, I don't accept it. Let me pay you for it. Then it's no longer a gift. It's something you have bought. And God's saying you can't buy my salvation. It's not for sale. It can only be received as a gift. And your works, your crops... Your leftovers, whatever you have to offer, your gifts, apart from your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, are not acceptable to God. Romans 8.3 says the law of Moses, talking about the law again, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. In other words, there was nothing wrong with the law. The law was perfect. It was God's ex- explanation of how we should live It was God's right way. If we lived by the law, it would have been good for us. But it was weak because of our sinful nature, because we couldn't adhere to it. We couldn't do it. We wanted to. We tried. Some of us are struggling today with sin, and we have laws in our life, and we're struggling to to live by that law. But God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the body we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. See, God doesn't just leave us down here and say, I know you can't do it. Look, when you receive Jesus Christ, he sends his spirit into your heart. The same grace that saved you From eternity in hell, the same grace that gives you eternal life is the same grace that will keep you and give you an overcoming life in this world, help you overcome sin. So it won't be a human effort. It will be God working in you to do His good pleasure. So many of us have received God's saving faith, but we're still struggling in our flesh To overcome sin. That's what I'm getting to tonight. And you're just going to be just as disappointed 
and your offering is not going to be acceptable to God, and you're going to, be, you're going to fail just as miserably as you did before until you understand this principle. Hebrews 10, 18 says, And when sins had been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Once Jesus died, once the blood of God himself was shed, it was an acceptable offering to God. He don't want any more bulls and goats killed. That was just a temporary covering until Jesus was brought. It was a type shadow of Jesus. Once Jesus came, it was done in heaven, in the heavenly temple. It was satisfied forever. Sin is over with. In God's estimation. There's no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and a life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. When he was on the cross, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. What happened? That curtain that covered in front of the most holy place where nobody was allowed to go was rent from top to bottom. And now anybody who receives Christ as Lord of their life can walk boldly into that throne room and obtain the mercy and the grace that they need in their time of, of, of need. That they need. <laughs> need. I don't know where I'm going with this. we got a lot of needs. That's right. Why is that significant? What, are, what am I getting at? You're sitting there saying, well, I hear you saying a lot of stuff, but I don't see my problems changing. I'm trying to get you to see that you'll not overcome sin in your flesh. You couldn't do it before, and you're not going to do it now. You can stick a Jesus bumper sticker on, you can be saved and going to heaven, but you're not going to overcome sin with the same old tools that you fought with before. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus now. You have new weapons of your warfare. You have grace. Why do you read your Bible? To learn. That's good. Why do you give? Why do you come to church? Those are questions you need to ask yourself. Is it out of guilt? That's the way I used to, you know, the few times I would show up and I, I was erratic in my attendance and stuff, it's because I was just going to make myself feel a little better and act like I was doing God a favor. It was out of guilt. But once I came face to face with the grace of God, He fundamentally changed my heart and who I am and, and my understanding not all at once. I mean, I had to grow in the grace of God. But as I grow, the more I grow, the more I love Him. And the more I love Him, the more I want to do everything He wants me to do. I am no longer feeling obligated or guilty about the reason why I do what I do. I can't wait for church. I can't wait to, to be able to give. I expect by faith that I'm going to be victorious. See, I'm operating in faith. I'm operating in the Spirit and not in the old flesh. Because when He came in, He gave me new life. Romans 5, 20 says, Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's not just talking about a broad stroke of all people. Okay, well, sin abounded on the earth, sure. And then Jesus came and grace much more abounded and gave everybody a chance. Yes. It's not just talking about your eternal salvation. Oh, I, was, I had sin, but now I've been saved by grace and now I'm eternally saved. Yes, that too. But it's also talking about the here and now. Where sin abounds all around me in my life. Grace does much more abound. Grace, the same 
Grace that saved you will sustain you, will give you the victory, will make you an overcomer every time. That grace gives you an understanding, a love for God that will be your motivating factor that will put away. There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You don't do things because you feel condemned or you're under compulsion or because of guilt anymore. When you know Jesus, you have met the King. You'll sell everything you have to go buy that pearl of a great price. It's no longer hard to overcome sin because sin is my enemy and I see it as such. I want to serve Jesus. And the closer I get to Him, the more I want to serve Him some more. It's not hard. In fact, it gets hard to sin at that point. When you get to a certain place in your life and that old flesh is dialing your number and, and it's calling you over, you know, whatever your weak point is and you're starting to get, and you say, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, the Holy Spirit in my heart starts going, do this, turn around, turn around. It's like all kind of alarms going off and it's like, even if I was to try to sin for a minute, it'd be like, this ain't even no fun. I can't do it. Because I walk too far with Jesus now. Now, I'm not going to sit up here and say that nobody struggles with sin that's been saved or anything. I know it. But I'm saying, it's the grace. You've got to tap into the love for Jesus. You've got to tap into the spiritual things. Your faith. Tap into God's weapons and don't fight in the flesh like you used to. I remember I wanted to be better and I would think about, okay, I'm not going to do this all day long. And the more I'd tell myself, I'm not going to do this, the more I'd start sitting there and thinking about that. Yeah, that thing I'm not going to do. Well, I'm not going to do that, but what if it happens like this? Yeah, and then I'll Oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. You see, the more you, whatever you're thinking on is the direction you're going. So don't concentrate on the sin. Don't see yourself as a sinner. See yourself as the righteousness of God. Begin to see yourself the way God sees you, the finished product, and move towards that. Move compelled by love, not out of guilt. The whole book of Galatians is talking to a church that, that had gotten saved by grace, but they were turning back to the law. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's put a spell on you? Don't go back. I wrote this. Jesus is God's gift to us. Grace. Our trust in Jesus is our acceptable gift to Him. Faith. Without faith, it's in possible to please him. A loving relationship is the intended and the inevitable result of being saved by grace through faith. If everything is working as it should, you've received his grace and understand what it is, and you've put your faith in him, then a loving relationship will be inevitable. And you'll be able to over, overcome. Love is the strongest force in the world. And you'll be able to overcome any obstacle. There was a, a woman. <clears throat> she had a husband. He was a cruel husband. He liked things his way, you know. Made a lot of rules. In fact, he wrote a list of things that she should do all the time. He wanted to tell her exactly when he wanted supper served. He wanted certain chores done. He wanted his clothes folded a certain way. He had a list of everything that he wanted done and the way he wanted it done. And if they didn't do it, by God, he was going to let her know. Well, I can't say that they had a happy marriage. She grew tired of trying to please him, but never felt like she could. Eventually, the man died. Eventually, he grew old and 
tired and just died. She got remarried to a different kind of fellow. He was kind. He treated her like a princess. He loved her and it was obvious. It was all about what he could do for her, not what she could do for him. And he did everything he could to make her life glorious. One day she was going through the house and looking through some drawers for something and she found that old list from her previous husband of things to do. And she opened it up and it just made her feel sick. And as she read through those things, she began to realize everything on this list that I, I couldn't do for him, I'm doing right now for my current husband. And it's not a chore at all. What's the difference? You can't keep the law. The law is a hard taskmaster. It will wear you out. Stop trying to defeat the law or try to live up to the law. Just keep pressing into Jesus and it'll come easy. So if somebody asks you today, why are you going to heaven when you die? If your answer is, well, it's, it's Jesus, plus I'm a good person, and plus this, or if, you're Jesus, if your answer is Jesus plus anything, wrong answer. <laughs> if your answer goes beyond the cross, wrong answer. If your answer is anything but the grace of God, wrong answer. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, For God saved us, and He called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was His plan from the beginning of time, to show us His grace through Jesus Christ. So, does anybody have a better understanding of what's an acceptable gift to God? Jesus was the only acceptable gift to God, the blood of Jesus. He was the sacrifice that God was well pleased with. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we're covered in that blood. It's by that blood that we have access to the Holy of Holies. It's by that blood that we have friendship with God, that we have relationship, that we are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. That blood is the gift that God accepts. <clears throat> A microwave, <laughs> although very practical, I don't think it would please God. You see, God is like a supernatural God. He don't need practical gifts. You know, he can, he's got the practical pretty much taken care of. You might want to get God an emu egg or something. Not paint it yourself and show him your creative gifts. No. What would that be compared to the one who flung the stars into existence and made the beauty of all creation? That's not going to impress him. You could get him some golf clubs. <laughs> I, I got some golf clubs to throw Angie off my trail and a lot of people are trying to give fake gifts to God to throw them, think they're throwing God off their trail but that's not going to work you could get him a stadium seat but I think he's doing fine sitting right there on the throne <laughs> you know what he wants He wants that ring, just like, that's what Angie wanted. <laughs> that's what God wants. He wants a lifelong commitment, intimacy, that's actually even deeper than the marriage covenant. That's what he wants with you. He wants your relationship to be consummated by the tearing of the virgin's veil and the shedding of blood. Like a marriage is consummated. We are the bride of Christ. We come through the veil to the most holy place. What would God say to all the kings of the world? 
get somewhere? <laughs> All the Cains that want to kill their brother because they're jealous or whatever. Well, it tells us what he told Cain. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what's right. See, God's willing to accept anyone. But you've got to do what's right. What's doing what's right? Accept Jesus. That's what's right. Live by faith and not by sight. That's what's right. <laughs> Stop trying to be a super achiever. And be more fulfilled being an obedient believer. You don't have to be a super anything. Just do what God says. Just like Mary said, whatever Jesus says, just do it. Don't get entangled in the bondage of the law. Especially don't get entangled in the bondage of sin. Get entangled in the arms of Jesus. And watch your life begin to turn around. Let's pray. Father, I know we're living in a, a world that's achievement-oriented. What can you do for me lately? What have you done? What can you accomplish? But Lord, you're pleased by faith and obedience. Lord, I know that the majority of Americans and maybe around the world, people have been taught this false doctrine from the pit of hell that they could earn their way to heaven, somehow be a good enough person. There may be instances, maybe even in this church, that people have been blinded by these lies and believed some of them and thought that it was saved by grace and because I'm a good person. Saved by grace and, and, and because I got baptized. Saved by this and because this. And some of us just beat ourselves up, Lord. And we go around the same old mountains. Walking in the flesh. Trying to overcome sin. Lord, I pray that you'll open eyes tonight. That we will be a people that believe and receive. Not that it's not a, not a struggle, not that it's not a fight, not that there's not battles to be won, but that we know how to fight. We know in whom we have believed, Father, that we understand that we have an armor to put on, that we have a cause worth fighting for. We have the words of eternal life. We have the victory. The devil has been defeated. Lord, we help us to understand that where sin did abound, your grace does much more abound. Instead of tackling sin in our naked flesh, Lord, help us cover ourselves in the blood of Christ and in the armor of God and snatch victory. Take back everything the devil has stolen from us. To live new lives as new creations to see better days, to be more than overcomers because you loved us and gave us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for it, Father. Now, if there's, with the, every head bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to look around. If there's anybody in here unsure of your salvation, anybody in here that wants to Nail down your salvation today. Like I, like I said earlier, the Bible says, I think it's in Ephesians 5 something, that, that we may know that we have eternal life. I think Ephesians 5, 12, if I'm not sure, mistaken. That we may know that we have eternal life. If there anybody struggles with that, that 
You feel saved one day and you don't feel saved the next. And you're basing it on your works. Then, then you don't have your eyes on the cross. Remember, it's not the cross plus anything. It's not even your good works that saves you. It's not anything you can do. It's, it's other than believe and receive. So if, it's, if you're struggling in your assurance of salvation and you want to nail it down tonight, according to the scriptures, would you raise your hand? All right, well, I don't see any hands. Let me finish praying here. Father, I thank you that this is a confident bunch. This is the next level bunch. Lord, I pray that you'll put some next level blessings on them. I, I pray that they rise up to the next level and the devil shaking in his boots just imagining it right now. I pray that we're going to take this world by storm. We're going to, these people are in here t today, tonight are the ones that are, that are going to change this church fundamentally. As we get rooted in the fundamental things of God, we be begin to understand who we really are and the power that you have invested in mere humans, or formerly mere humans. Now we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're new creations, and we're world changers, and we're going to do it, Father, for you and for your glory, and we're going to enjoy the ride. We are joyful people. We're not, we'll not sit back and, and despair any longer. The devil will have no more victory over us. I declare it that every chain is broken in this place. You said where any two on earth agree is touching anything that they shall ask. It shall be done to the Father which is in heaven. Matthew 18, 19, we declare it right now, every chain broken in this place. I pray finances will come into the lives of everybody who needs finances. I pray, Father God, for needs being met, material needs, emotional needs. I pray that if anybody's lonely, Lord, that you'll send the right people. I pray that you'll, you'll be our guiding light through all the darkness in our path. And more than anything, that we'll never cease to live in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Good night, y'all. to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.